Hello and welcome back to another episode of Only a Notebook, a writing podcast. I am your host, Nathaniel Mellor, and in this episode, I want to talk about how to become a beta reader. In the last episode, we talked about, maybe I talked about specifically, um, how to find a beta reader and how to find an editor. Um, and the idea of becoming an editor is also valid, and I'm going to put that in a different episode uh, because this episode will just be about becoming a beta reader. And in the description of the last episode, I mentioned that the reason I've actually, uh, the reason I'm doing these uh, episodes is because I posted a comment on Reddit simply saying that uh, in, in response to somebody's question about like, how do you fit writing into your life? Uh, you know, where does it fit into your life? Is it a job? Is it, a, you know, just a passion? Is it just something you do to kill the time? And I mentioned um, I'm, I'm a beta reader, I'm an editor, so it fits into my job or it fits into my life as, as work, as a way to pay the bills. And I got a couple of responses in the comments and I got a couple of responses as DMs basically asking like, how'd you get into the work? How'd you do it? How do you support yourself? What do you charge? Um, and I don't think people were looking to hire me. It was more looking like for their own, for their own questions about their own prices, um, seeing if it's possible for them to, to work out um, a job in which they can survive off of being a beta reader. So I want to talk about that in this episode, um, but first I want to establish two, f- you know, important rules. Uh, maybe not rules, but guidelines, or just something to keep in mind. Uh, and the first is that there is no base of certifications. There's no group. There's no company. There's no um, board of certifications and 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 certifiers. Um, there's no tests to take that will. Uh, judge whether or not you're ready to become a beta reader. I know other industries have that. Other industries have, you know, tests, certifications, things like that that you can um, study for and you could pass, and then you can become, you know, more well paid or you could have a better position within your field. Um, by and large, most writing jobs are not like that unless you're going from associate editor to head editor kind of thing, or managing editor. Um, but it's not really so much your your knowledge of the English language as it is your, uh, you know. Who you know and 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 um, how well you are working with others, how good you are working with others, um, but for a beta reader, it really doesn't exist. Um, some people do have a strong foundation with their degree; they have a degree in literature or English. Um, sometimes it's a doctorate, sometimes it's a master's, and they use that to be you know to 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 build the foundation of their beta reading um, services. Um, other people uh, have have published books or published short stories or published poetry. Uh, other people like me, you're just uh, editors in general. So that's sort of the, you know, I have years of experience being an editor. You can use me as a beta reading service. That's the first most important, um, uh, again, concept, guideline to keep in mind is there's no real um, rule on who gets to become a beta reader and who doesn't. It's just, you know, whoever shows up and starts charging money for it is going to be a beta reader. Um, and I, I wanted to cover that because, I, again, some people did ask me like, oh, well, what did you, how did you become a beta reader? What did you do? Um, you know, do you have a degree? Did you be, go to college? What's your background? Um, so I figured I would, I would answer these questions. Um, but the second thing to keep in mind is if you are going to be a beta reader, and it's the same thing for an editor, again, next episode, but if you are going to be a beta reader, the most important thing to keep in mind is your job is to not, um, mold or form or, or warp that, you know, somebody's book into your own voice. It's to find their voice and to strengthen their voice. Um, it's sometimes people will you know, have bad experience with beta readers because the beta reader, uh, basically took their book and said, Oh, here's some suggestions. 
but it was all suggestions on how to make the book sound like the beta reader's voice, not sound like the author's voice. Um, and it's the same thing again in editing. You're not trying to impose your own voice on the story. You're trying to find the author's voice and make that more apparent. It's also, it gets a little bit difficult, but a lot of beta readers have a list of things they won't read, whether it be gore um, or whether it be uh, certain explicit scenes, whether it be violence. Uh, and there's a list of things that people won't read. Um, and if you are going to be try to become a beta reader, you know, it's, it's, you can definitely start without a list. You can start just like, I'll read anything. Um, but I have noticed on a personal level that, uh, sometimes with, with certain books, they, they stick with me, you know, weeks after I've read them, it's just sort of, uh, unhealthy. It's like, I can only read so many, um, you know, sexual assault scenes that, that don't have a purpose. You know, it's not like, uh, something nonfiction or something autobiographical or even something like to show how terrible the world is. It's just sort of, it's this throwaway scene. Uh, and it's something I want to talk about later, actually using, um, that sort of sexual assault as a, as a, as a creating a backstory. Um, but it's something that, um, it's something that started to weigh on me pretty heavily. So I, I, just, I basically in, in my, um, services, I started asking, please don't send me anything with sexual assault. I probably won't read it and I'll re you know, I'll refund the money and I won't do the job. Um, if, if I find out that that's in the story. So now let's get started in talking about what um, to do to set yourself up as a beta reader. Normally, the first thing to do is find a place to offer your services. Um, some people can get started just by offering their services through their own website. However, it's fairly difficult if you don't already have a built-up uh, client base. Uh, I, know, I know there's all these stories about, oh, that person's a, a digital nomad, or that person's a traveler, they work from home, they're an editor. Uh, and that is, you know, probably very true, but they have probably also had years of building up their client base. It's something that you might not have done if you don't have clients yet, if you have not become a beta reader yet. Uh, so the first thing to do is to build up your client base. And the easiest way to do that is to use um, some other platform to get started. And by some other platform, I mean something like Upwork or Fiverr or uh, Freelancer. In this this episode specifically, I'm going to talk more about Upwork and Fiverr rather than Freelancer, simply because Freelancer is a little bit more professional in the sense that they don't really, um, people don't post looking for beta reading jobs so much as they do like looking for somebody to edit or proofread their technical document. Uh, sometimes there's like, you know, please edit my thesis, things like that. Not so much with beta, beta reading. Uh, so I'm going to focus more on Upwork and Fiverr. And the first one I want to talk about is Upwork. Now, as a little warning, I should say that I um, have a lot of bias against both of these platforms. I don't like either of them, um, and unfortunately, they're a bit of a necessary evil uh, at, at this point in time, both for me and for other people, because we we basically couldn't get started without that uh, without these platforms. So, first to talk about Upwork, um, if you haven't used it before, it's a it's a website where the idea is the client posts what they're looking for. And the professional, I'm going to call the beta reader the professional um, for both these websites. And the professional answers this um, listing. It's a bit like a job interview. And the way it's structured is the fact the, the uh, client will list what the job is. So let's just say beta reading a 90,000 word science fiction story. They'll give a description onto what the story is, what's in it, any trigger warnings. Um, usually there's a little brief, um, what this story is about, that kind of thing to see if it's something that's interesting to you. Cause they don't really want somebody who's used to editing or beta reading, um, you know, a, a Western novel or something like that. They want somebody who's used to beta reading, uh, science fiction. So they'll, they'll say, you know, somebody who has experience in science fiction. 
um, they'll post their their um, budget, and this is where it gets a little you know funky because sometimes they'll post just five dollars is their budget and they'll say offer me you know send me an offer with how much this job is worth basically how much you could do this job for some people a little bit more serious in the in my mind that's not a very serious thing this they're clearly trying to get a low price they're truly clearly trying to get people to um work against each other without anybody knowing how much the other people are charging however i, I believe there's a pro function i could be wrong i believe there's an upwork pro function where you if you pay a month if you the professional pays a monthly cost you can find out how much uh, other people are bidding for that job, um, and of course, it's not necessary that it's not necessarily true that the lowest bidder gets the job, um, but it's fairly common. Um, and then they'll also ask if you have any other sort of work that you can show them, anything that they can compare it to, like send me a reader report or some kind of book report um, that you've done that that shows me you know what you're doing. Uh, and that's kind of how Upwork is structured. But the other important aspect is to apply for any job, you need what is called a connect. Um, and it's a sort of token that Upwork has that you basically, the professionals have to buy these connects. Uh, I don't, I think there are only a couple cents each, like 15 cents each. Uh, you have to buy them with real money and you spend them by applying to a job. Uh, maybe they're 30 cents each. Um, and so some jobs, if the, the closer the job is to your um, set of skills that you've said that you you know that you've said you can do um, the fewer connects it should cost. So if you say that you're a beta reader of science fiction, then this beta reading science fiction job should only cost you about two or three connects to apply to. Um, but if you say that you are a um, a programmer who is very you know who, who works exclusively in Python, um, then there's a really good chance this will cost you about fifteen to twenty connects to apply to. And the idea is to prevent people from applying to things that don't. Um, contain their set of skills as necessary. So if you can maybe already you know see the issue here, but you as the professional have to pay money to apply for a job. And again, it is applying for a job. Um, so it's kind of like basically imagine just applying for a regular job a couple times a day, hoping that you get one of them. Um, and if you've ever been on a job search, they are pretty demoralizing. Um, they're, they're not, you know, they're, I don't know if anybody loves the job hunt. Um, it's a, it's a kind of a, just a stressful draining, um, exercise and being on Upwork is a lot like that. I've spent hours and hours some days, about eight hours a day, just looking for work and we're spending, you know, of course I have to spend money to apply. So I'm spending five or $6 a day applying for these jobs and, you know, five or $6 doesn't sound like much, but if the job only pays 25, $30 and I spent $5 applying to all these jobs and that's all I get it, you know, it, it the, the money starts to add up. And the fact that you're not making money starts to uh, become apparent. And I do believe that Upwork also takes a percentage out. I cannot remember off the top of my head how much they take out. It's either 15 or 20%. Uh, it might be 10, but I don't think it's 10. Uh, and I believe that this scales. So the more money you make, the less they take out. Um, and I don't, I don't think it scales linear, linearly. I do believe there are um, uh, different thresholds. Uh, so if you make over $2,000 in a year or in a month, then they, they only take out 5%. If you make $10,000, they only take out 2%. Um, so they try to, to make it in your best interest to make more money. That way they will take less money. Upwork has um, basically, just like Fiverr, and I believe just like freelance, all of your all the money is held in escrow. If somebody's going to pay you, the money is held in escrow. So in theory, nobody can um, trick you out of your money, basically. They can't scam you out of your money, in theory. I'll get into that a little bit later. On the topic of getting paid, 
Upwork does have a built-in um, guaranteed paid um, uh, software, basically, um, because that's kind of the classic issue. Is although the money through, you know, I believe, uh, I believe fr- freelancer as well, but although the money in Fiverr and Upwork uh, is supposed to be held in escrow, so as soon as somebody orders a job from you, um, or you get, or you get approved for a job through Upwork. Uh, the money should immediately be taken out of their account and placed into escrow. That way, when as soon as the job is done, the money get, then goes to you, and there isn't any trying to track down this client from a week ago trying to get them to pay you. Um, so, and Upwork has this extra little function, and I cannot remember the name of it. I have it on my computer. Um, but essentially, it's this sort of Upwork, we will log all of your information to make sure you're doing what you say you're doing. Uh, and what that means is they will um, they will log all of your keystrokes. They will take... Uh, um, intermittent screenshots of your um, screen. So sometimes it's every two seconds and sometimes every 35, 35, 40 seconds. Obviously, you don't know when it's coming. Um, and I believe they also record sometimes, depending on what you're doing. Um, but at the very least, it's keystrokes are recorded as well as, or mouse clicks, as well as your um, screen has screenshots taken. Uh, and this is all to ensure that you are doing what you say you're doing. And if you are doing what you say you're doing and you send um, the confirmed job, like if let's just say you're beta reading, so you read the story, you write up a report and you send it to them. And then they say, oh, but this person clearly didn't read my book. Uh, Upwork can be like, well, they have about 15 hours logged or whatever it is, seven hours logged of them reading your book. And then about an hour and a half logged of them writing up this report. So yes, I think they did do their job. You have to pay them now. Um, that's their little way of ensuring it's, you know, basically ensuring that you get paid. I don't love it. I don't love the idea of having this kind of software on my computer personally. And I think I've only ever used it for one job, um, which of course the person paid me anyway, so it wasn't an issue. And then of course there's the normal way of getting paid, just doing the work and asking for the money. But Upwork basically says, because there's no guarantee you did the work, uh, we cannot 100% guarantee that you will get paid for it. If they have a complaint and it's not something you guys can solve between the two of you, then there's a chance that they get the work for free. Kind of just an important little, you know, caveat basically to working to either of these, Upwork or Fiverr. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the main concept of Upwork. Um, but the really main concept there is the fact that you are going to apply for a client's uh, job. And in my mind, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a strange little um, detail, but it sort of defines the power balance there. Um, not the power balance in some weird 1980s business way, but the power balance in the sense of you are the professional, you know what you're doing, you have experience doing what you're doing. Um, they need you to do this job. They need someone in theory, you, uh, to give them feedback. Um, but in my experience, it's a little bit, the, the power dynamics a little weird because I, I apply for these jobs and I get the job and then it's almost as if I'm being treated like a, like an employee and not just any employee, but they like, you know, treating me poorly and they, uh, are demanding extra work on top of whatever I've done. They're demanding this, and then they hold like, and then you know they're not allowed to, and they hold these reviews above your head, and they, um, it it becomes strange. It becomes like, am I, you know, what? Why am I working for you? I'm self-employed. I'm not working for you. You're my client, for sure, but I'm not your employee. Uh, and it's a really weird line. It's a really weird, um, small detail. Um, but it's actually why I started using Fiverr instead of Upwork. And again, I really should be clear, I don't love Fiverr at all. I, I, if I could not use it, I would immediately. Uh, if there were any alternative I could use, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, but with that being said, let's talk about Fiverr. Um, Fiverr works the exact opposite of, uh, of Upwork. You create a gig 
and then other people um, will basically purchase your gig. And you can pretty much set it up however you want. I mean, there are parameters, there are guidelines in place, um, but you can set the price, you can set the timeline, you can set what you offer, you create the description, um, you create photos, all these kinds of, you know, it's all it's all on you basically. Um, and then you get people to, to sort of click on your job and then to buy your job. Um, it's, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but, but most beta readers do have in their description a, please contact me before purchasing. Um, and this is for a variety of reasons, but it's just one, make sure you're, you're, uh, you know, purchasing the right job. It's the right word count, et cetera, et cetera. But again, I'm going to get into that when I talk about the description section. And I'm going to go into detail with this Fiverr one a little bit more because I have more experience in Fiverr, um, but also because it's a little bit more complicated uh, in the sense there are some things to keep in mind when you're setting up your gig and when you're setting up your job. Now, the first thing after you've made your account, and I will add that um, Upwork, I believe you can um, live anywhere. And as long as you're, I think you have to post your social security number. Uh, I mean, you have to give it to Upwork, but if you are an American, you can live anywhere and you will still be USA based because on Upwork, it allows someone to search, um, for USA based, um, professionals only. And I, again, I think this is a way to prevent people from like, um, India or Pakistan or Indonesia who, who speak English from also beta reading. Um, I don't love again, that sort of thing of like limiting it by country. Fiverr, on the other hand, uh, it's based on your IP address. So if you are based out of, um, like for me personally, I'm in Italy. Uh, so although I'm American, although I read in English, I am listed as being in Italy. So that's where, you know, and there isn't any, I don't believe, um, cause I've purchased through Fiverr. There isn't a, you know, limit by region or limit by country setting. Um, but you know, it, it does make, it does let the client know where you are. Um, so if you are USA based, it will list you as USA based, but if you are moving back and forth, let's just say, um, you know, between USA and Canada, uh, it does take a couple days to up update and it only updates automatically. You can't message Fiverr. They basically say we have no control over it. It's, you know, it's an automatic system. Um, but when you do move after a couple of days, um, the system will update and it will list your location. The second thing when you're creating your account is, um, there are some tests. There used to be more tests on Fiverr. And again, going back to that certification thing I was talking about earlier, it was Fiverr's own way of creating these cert uh, certifications. Like the more tests you pass, um, the more likely you are to get these certain jobs. Um, but really they, they cut back a, a little bit ago, a couple, maybe a year ago, they, they kind of, uh, deleted about maybe a little more than 90% of their tests, maybe 80% of their tests. Um, and part of it, there are a lot of repeat tests, a lot of like, uh, you know, there was reading comprehension test that was exactly like the, um, there was some editing comprehension test or something like that. And it was just like, it was same question, same words. Um, there was a Microsoft word test, but it was like not updated at all. Um, so it was, there's, there's some kind of weird ones and they did away with all of them. But the only important one is to be a beta reader. They do ask that you pass this English test. Um, and it's fairly, it's, I think 30 questions or 45 questions. It is timed. If you do click out of the test, uh, the test ends. Um, so you have to do it all in one go. Um, you can't click away. You can't screen, you can't basically do anything cause it'll automatically in the test. And I believe you can only take two tests a day and then you have to wait a week to take another two. Uh, again, it's set up in a way that you can't, um, cheat if you don't know the answer. Um, the English test is pretty straightforward. I've taken it like four or five times. Um, and I get like a 95 every time. So I don't know. I'm, I'm clearly missing one question. 
Um, but most beta readers will have about a 90. Uh, so it's not a, it's, you know, missing a question is not the end of the world at all, by the way. Just, uh, I know that some people are like, oh, I, I missed a question. I have to be 100. I don't think I've seen one beta reading gig where somebody has a has 100. Um, or maybe I've seen one, but that's, it's not that common. Uh, and I don't know if it's also a question that has a wrong answer or what the deal is. Because they don't, I don't believe, they used to show your answers and I don't know if they still do. Um, so that's the, that's the two most important things is, is um, your location and the language test, the English test. Um, so when you set up your gig, you have a couple of options, but the one option you don't have is how to begin your gig offer. Um, every gig on Fiverr begins with the words, I will, uh, I, I imagine this again is to reduce sort of spam or exclamation points or, you know, emojis or something like that. Um, so all the gigs on Fiverr begin with, I will. So yours will begin with, I will, and you can say, I will beta read your book, or you can say something like, I will beta read your book and provide honest feedback, or I will beta read and critique your book, or whatever it is you want. I would look through some of the other um, gigs available and see what they do, see what other people do. Because um, some people have like, I will beta read your book and give honest, you know, thoughtful feedback, or I will give you a no frills beta read, or I will give you a honest, uh, you know, uh, uh, critiquing whatever, you know, whatever it is, um, beta read of your book. Um, as long as beta read is in the title, it should help, you know, just get you the people sort of landing on the page. And then it asks you to put into a certain category. Beta reading is a category, choosing the language, choosing the type of books. And then you get to the gig. You can choose from one gig or three, like one, sorry, one option or three under the same gig. Um, some people have one option, you know, and, and they're very clear about it. It's here's a sample read for $5. And that's why if you click, um, and again, sorry, this might be somewhat scattered. I'm trying to keep it as cohesive and in line as possible, but I do run off on these little tangents. But if you do go through and look through other people's gigs, you'll see that some of them start at $5. And you think, how can somebody make money with this? And you click on it. And then you read, oh, it's the first 2,000 words is $5. And the rest of it is, you know, whatever it is, a um, dollar per thousand words or something, $2 per thousand words. So it's important to look at their gig offer before you, you change your prices based on theirs. So back to your own gig, um, you can choose one or three options. Uh, three is the easiest. It's just, you have, you know, if you're going to beta read, you can beta read 10,000 words, 40,000 words, or 90,000 words and make that your three options, but do the same job for each three, uh, options. Some people prefer that each of the option that increases in price will also have a slightly different offering. So the for, you know, the, the lowest option is 10,000 words and I'll give a basic beta read. And then it's 30,000 words and I'll give a basic beta read plus, um, uh, suggestions on how to improve clarity. And then the 90,000 words is a beta, basic beta read, thoughts on improving clarity, and a sample line edit of the first 10 pages, or whatever it is. It's, you know, people like to play around with their different offers and to, to um, kind of see what works best. So it's a lot of experimentation, unfortunately. It, there's no clear-cut rule. What works better for some people doesn't work better, you know, for other people. Um, but the biggest advice I have on this, you know, the two biggest things is one price. Do not undercut yourself. Um if you're living in America, you, you kind of need to make like $10 an hour minimum to survive. So I would charge about that on Fiverr because they, Fiverr takes 20% of anything. They take 20% of your money and they take 20% of your tips. This is to avoid people charging $5 for a job and getting a $400 tip. Um, so everything you make through Fiverr will be uh, taxed by 20%. Of course, I will add, you have to pay taxes on top of this, by the way, uh, not on top of what you actually uh, earned, but whatever you, you, you made, whatever Fiverr ended up giving you. 
Um, so you're not making very much because, you know, even if you get a $200 job, you're losing $40 right off the bat. Um, and then is that job really worth 160 or was it worth 200? And that's something important to factor in. I factor in the 20%. I think a lot of other people factor in the 20%, um, because, you know, maybe reading a 90,000 word book isn't worth $130, but once I lose the $26, then yeah, okay. Then it becomes worth $104 to read that book. But had I just charged a hundred dollars, I'm walking with, you know, 80, it's not, not great. It doesn't work out well for me. Um, so you, the price is something really important. It's, it's something I tell anybody who's asking me questions on Reddit, like how much do you charge? How do you charge? You know, what are you worth kind of thing? Uh, and it's really important to charge whatever you think you're worth, but to not undercut yourself. And when I first started on Fiverr, I charged very little, um, for, for a variety of reasons, but I, basically the, Part of it was I was you know I was not sure if people would come and use my service. I wanted to entice people to come. Um, I, I I wasn't sure how good I was. I wasn't sure if people would enjoy my feedback. Uh, I wanted you know basically to have a couple of jobs, and then if everyone was like, oh, this is great feedback, then I was like, oh, I can increase my prices a little bit. But if people were like, this is not great, you know, you could have done a little bit better. Um, then I knew that my prices maybe were a little too high for what I was offering. Um, but I had great feedback and I slowly raised my prices. And I think I mentioned in the last episode that, um, one of my beta reading, uh, clients, uh, I think I was reading her 90,000 word book or 85,000 word book. And I charged her, I think $45 and she ended up tipping me another $40. And I was like, thank you so much. What is this for though? I mean, I didn't do that good a job. I don't think, I mean, I think I did a really good job, but not, you know, for double the amount. And, uh, she said like, no, you're, you're charging much less than anybody else, you know, um, on Fiverr right now. And I figured, you know, yours was at least worth that. So I'm happy to pay it. Uh, and that's when I actually looked around and realized like, oh my God, I'm charging 45, but other people are charging 85, 95, 120. Um, and this, the, you know, this kind of goes back to something I haven't talked about yet, but it's the level seller you are. Um, Fiverr has, I believe, four different levels of seller. Uh, and the first one is new seller. Um, seller as an S-E-L-L-E-R, not C-E-L-L-A-R, not a basement. Um, and if you are a new seller, you just signed up, um, you, you can get a couple different gig offers and that's kind of it. There's not much you can do, uh, as far as there's not much that, that, um, they'll allow you to do. You can't charge over a certain amount, things like that. And then once you hit a certain amount of money made, um, in total, and you haven't broken in their rules and you haven't responded slowly and anything like that, I think the money made is like $500. You become a level one seller. Um, and then you're at level one until you make, I believe it's $2,000 and you do 50 jobs, uh, and then you become a level two seller, and then there's top rated seller, and as you made $10,000, and you did 100 jobs. Um, so there's there's these you know different little levels basically built in, and people can sort by the levels. Um, but if you are a new seller, see what other new sellers are selling their work for. If you are a level one seller, see what other sellers are sell level one sellers are selling their work for. I've said sell too many times now, um, but let's go back to your your gig requirements, right? You've already set your price. You've already, you know, uh, explained what you're going to do, how many words you're going to do. The next is the description. Uh, and this is where you obviously describe your gig and what you're offering. And it's important here to be very clear with what you're offering, not just for your sake and the client's sake, but also for Fiverr's sake, because, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but Fiverr does, um, if you're at all ambivalent or unclear about what you're offering, Fiverr comes down hard on the side of the client and saying, well, you didn't explicitly state that you didn't do this, or you didn't explicitly state um, that you only do this as a as a freebie, or you only do this as a offer, or whatever it is, you know. Um, and I know some people are like, "Oh, I'll do a line edit," 
as an you know as a I'll, I'll do a sample line edit, but you didn't say a sample line edit of you the first thousand words. Um, so you know so your client's expecting a sample line edit of the whole book, uh, which I'm not sure again what that would look like. So but Fiverr was like well let's see it let's see you give it to them. Um, so it's very important in your description to be clear about what you offer and what you don't offer. And so if you're going to beta read, you could just say, I beta, you know, I, I, people have different openings like, oh, you wrote a book, congratulations, or oh, now that you've written a book, you know, don't give it to your mom, give it to me to read, that kind of thing. Um, so you can have something, you know, fun like that, something to kind of break the ice. And then you have a description of what you do. Um, you read and then you offer feedback on what? Is it clarity, pacing, structure, character, character development, plot, theme, dialogue, um, are you going to offer any suggestions on word choice or word usage, any comments on punctuation, any comments on grammatical style? Uh, and these are all up to you. Of course, it really is up to you what you want to offer. You don't have to get crazy about it. And it's something that what I personally say is I, I offer, you know, if I have any comments to make about it, I'll make comments about these 10 things. Um, but not every book has, um, this isn't applicable to every book because on every book has places where I'd recommend a word usage change or a, um, a, a grammatical change or anything like that, or punctuation change, uh, or not every book has structural issues, not issues, um, but uh, there's no, there, not every book has a place I can recommend structural changes, um, whether it be like shifting some chapters around or shifting paragraphs around within the same chapter. Uh, if I think that some one thing happened too soon or too slowly uh, before something else happened. So that's just kind of an overview of the description. But then at the top, what you will see most commonly, I think with every gig, is please please, please send me a message before you place an order. Um, because the, the biggest issue with Fiverr, and it's, it's probably one of my biggest, biggest, best, uh, biggest pet peeves with Fiverr, is you cannot say no to an order. Um, there is, on your end, if somebody places an order, you just get a little message, whether it be on your computer or on your phone, saying, hey, you've got a new order, get to work. And they literally do say, get to work. Um, you can't review the order. You can't review what they sent you. You can't um, you, you can't, you know, you can reach out to them and say, oh, hey, just looked over your thing, but you can't say like, you know, you clearly didn't read the requirements. Um, you know, this is only up to 10,000 words. You sent me something for 40,000 words that has happened to me a couple of times. And what I messaged them is, you know, I can add on the 30,000 words here, or we can cancel this order and do a new order. Uh, I have thankfully not had somebody just saying, well, can you just do it anyway? Um, and I'm not sure, again, this is why I'm, um, I don't like using Fiverr personally. So I'm not sure where Fiverr would come down on that side. Um, I know for a lot of people, there is a very small subreddit on Reddit called Fiverr, um, but it's oftentimes filled with people having problems with Fiverr. Like, I did all this work for somebody, I, I went back and I made all these changes, and I made all these um, revisions, and they basically were just like, they didn't want to pay me, and I finally got in contact with Fiverr, and Fiverr was like, yeah, they don't really have to pay you if they don't like the work. Um, that's something I'm against, obviously. It's I mean, this is totally not, you know, uh, uh, this, you know, the time for the conversation, but it does go back to the thing of, are you paying somebody for the effort or are you paying somebody for the work? And it's a, it's a sort of a split in, um, ideology. And I think, I don't know if it's generational. I don't know if it's, um, uh, societal. I don't know if it's geog geographical. Um, cause I know some people are like, oh, I'm not going to pay a mechanic if they don't fix my car, but you do, you know, if you go to the mechanics and you, you pay 150 bucks and like, yeah, we don't know what's wrong with your problem. You know, we don't know what, what what's wrong with your car, but you have to pay us because we had a mechanic look it over. Um, that's what they did and they can't find the problem, but there is a problem and you have to pay us either way. Same thing with the plumber. Oftentimes you're paying them to come over to look at the, the issue, not necessarily to fix it. Uh, if they fix it, it's sort of like, great, they fixed it. Um, and again, this is again, the sort of a, a, a ideology issue. I think people that are a little bit younger um, in their 20s and in their 30s are sort of like, 
you know, you pay me for my time and for my effort. You don't necessarily pay for the end results. And I've noticed, especially with my older clients, they are like, I'm just paying you for the result, um, which is fine. You know, it's fantastic. So they're saying, I'm paying you $15 one way or the other. If you put in zero effort or you pay in, you know, hundred effort, as long as the end result is the same, I don't really care. Um, this is just something for you to keep in mind as you, as you, you know, work for, your, especially if this is the first time working for yourself, being self-employed, uh, it's to kind of keep this in mind that you are sort of entering into this um, ideological conversation on whether or not you, people are paying you for your effort or people are paying you for your end result. Uh, and and I, I personally keep that away from my, my um, description. Some people say, you know, when you pay me, I give you guaranteed results. I don't say that because I'm not guaranteeing results. And also, like, there have been jobs where people, you know, it's a $70, $80, $90 job. Um, to beta read somebody's book and I give feedback. They didn't really like my feedback because it's uh, for a variety of reasons, whether, you know, some people don't like it because I um, uh, called out something they didn't appreciate me calling out or they thought it was a harsh feedback or they thought it was um, not what they were looking for. Um, so, they're, they're, you know, and, and unfortunately that is also going to happen to you. Even if you're very positive about somebody's book, um, even if you're like, I love this book, this book was amazing, I love the plot, here are like two little things I would change, just the thought. Um, there are people who don't want to hear that there's anything to change. And this, and I'll, again, kind of talk about this later a little bit, or I'll, and I'll work it in to the rest of the podcast. Um, but it's sort of how, to, you know, it's feeling out potential clients and trying to get a feel for a potential client um, before they place an order with you, which is why you want them to message you. Um, but I have gotten, you know, uh, somebody did basically, they're threatening to not pay. They're like, I'm not going to pay because... Uh, one of his issues was that I read his book too quickly. He's like, there's no way you can read 80,000 words in two and a half days. And I'm like, well, you know, I did for sure. Um, it's, you know, my, my, basically, I think my gig offer was three days. I would finish your book. So I'm like, you accepted this gig knowing I would finish in a maximum of three days. I sent it to you my night. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't uh, take the rest of the time because I'd be asleep. Um, so I'm not sure what you expected. Like, I'm, you know, I, of course I didn't say any of this, but it's just this sort of, um, like if you had done the math here, you know, and I explained I, to almost all my clients, I do let them know I'm in Europe, uh, Europe, um, pronounce that one weird. Um, so I am usually they're East coast and I'm like, I'm six hours ahead or if the West coast, I'm nine hours ahead. And I let them know because sometimes they like to place their order, uh, late at night. Um, and I don't get it until the next morning. And I don't know, but I believe on their screen, they can see whether or not I've, downloaded their attachment, which is usually their Word document. Uh, and some people do message like, oh, hey, have you gotten started? And I'm like, well, you know, it's 8.30 in the morning here, so I have not gotten started. I have, you know, errands to run. And I have things to do. I have to go get groceries, and then I'll get started on your work. Um, and again, these things all tie back, and I apologize. It's like tangent after tangent. Um, but when I first started on Fiverr, it was as soon as I got a job, I would drop everything and immediately do the job. And it was because, like, I, I couldn't figure out how to be self-employed. Um, and I apologize, you know, you probably just came to this podcast looking for how to become a beta reader and you're getting this long, you know, in-depth conversation on how to be self-employed. Um, but it's important because I do think I've always had jobs where I show up at a certain time and I leave at a certain time. Uh, and I know it's expected of me at the job and I know it's expected of me not at the job. So when I was self-employed, especially right at the beginning, it was difficult because I would think, well, I have to, I have to work. You know, this person's expecting me to be working on their thing, uh, on their story, on their short story, on their novel. It doesn't matter if I've asked for five days to finish it. I need to finish it right now. Um, and at the beginning, that's what I would do. Three, four, five days at the absolute maximum would be my you know, my response time, my turnaround time. Um, but after that one guy's comment saying, there's no way you read this book in two and a half days, 
I thought, okay, you know what, you know, not to punish everybody, but I'm going to start asking for eight days, nine days, um, to beta read. Um, because you know, why am, why am I killing myself over two days rather than, you know, trying to read eight, eight or nine hours a day. Plus of course, you know, the beta, the, the reader reports usually take me a few hours to write just because I like to go back through the book. Um, and especially if there's suggestions I have, I like to be as clear as possible on the book I read, I like to, you know, bring actual, um, dialogue from the book to, so it's not just like, oh, there's that part where this person said this thing. I like to copy and paste it. So it's, I have all these notes going when I'm reading somebody's book. Um, but it's to get the best possible reader report for somebody. Um, and so I, you know, basically I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take more time and, uh, I won't kill myself and I will, you know, just, I'll get back to you in eight days or nine days. And I did not see a single change over my, um, my other clients, you know, I still got a ton of work. And in fact, the only thing that did change is people started, you know, if I got it back to them in five days instead of seven, they would say, great work. Andy got it to me, you know, quicker than he said he would, which is amazing. Love this guy. Can't wait to use him again. Um, so I realized you, I had nothing to lose by making it a little bit longer than two or three days. Um, but this, you know, going back to this idea of being self-employed, it's you, you carve out time to work. Um, especially if this is going to be your main source of income. Um, if, if this is just like something you're going to do in the afternoons, that's one thing you're going to have a set time probably because you get home from work and you have something to work on. Um, but if you have nothing else to do, carve out time, just be like between the hours of one in the afternoon and five in the afternoon is when I'm going to be reading. Or if you were a morning reader, you know, it's 10 to two, whatever it is, just have, have a specific set time in which you'll be working. Don't work all day. Um, because you are going to be stressing about whether this person's worried or whether they're expecting it back and you want to get back early, you want to impress them, et cetera, et cetera. I really recommend not doing that. I recommend just treating it like a job. If you've asked for six days, use as many hours of those six days as you can, um, rather than sending them back in two days. Uh, and all this kind of ties back, going right back to your gig, uh, in your description, this is why you want people to first off message you, but also when you set up a resp uh, delivery time is to not undercut it. And that's back when you're setting up prices and you're setting up what you will, uh, uh, any additions and add-ons you will do. You can also set your delivery time. Again, I, when it's, uh, personally, I have it set very high, uh, at under my gig offers. Um, so I think for, for a 90,000 word book, I ask for like 17 days or something crazy. Uh, and part of that is because again, going back, I mentioned earlier that you cannot say no to a job. Uh, even if it's something you don't do, even if it's something that isn't in your, you know, um, if somebody sends you a job asking you to, 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 you know, make a, a logo in Photoshop and you say, well, that's not what I, I'm a beta reader. That's not what I do. You can't say, no, you have to get Fiverr to cancel the job for you. And they won't cancel the job for you unless there's a valid reason. And unless the other client agrees to it. And that's the other really important aspect. So you really want people to not um, go ahead and click purchase this gig offer. You really want them to message you. That way you can best understand what their job entails, what their job requires. But if somebody does go ahead and just purchase your gig order without reading your description, what I personally like to have is a huge buffer of time. That way, if there is something wrong with the story, or if they did not upload their document that I need to read, which does happen, by the way, again, a little tangent, but there it will be times where somebody will purchase your gig order, not upload the document until, you know, one or two days left to go. And then you ask them for a little extra time. And so well, I don't have extra time. I need this done in two days. And you say, well, you just sent me your, your work. It's not going to be great. You know, my, my, my response, my reader report will not be amazing because I have to read your book and then write the report. And I can only, you know, two days to do all that 
is not a huge amount of time, um, depending on what it is, of course. Um, if it is something really short, like a short story, it's plenty of time. Um, so that's just, you know, it's just, these are just little, you know, things there to keep in mind. But going back to your, your description, and again, I appreciate you sticking with me. I know I'm kind of going all over the place here. Um, but going back to your description, you really want the, you know, the top to be, please reach out to me. Please let me know. Uh, please send me a message before you place an order. That way I can better craft a, um, an offer for you because that's something you can do. You can offer, you know, you can create a custom offer for somebody. And one thing I like to do is if they reach out to me, I will drop my delivery time. So instead of, you know, 17 days for 90,000 words, maybe it's 14 days or maybe it's 12 days. Um, it's a little, like a little benefit for reaching out. It's a little bit like, thank you. Uh, and, and for reaching out, I will give you, you know, a discount. Um, but it's also because, and I, I mentioned this, I think very, very, very briefly, but you, because you cannot say no to an offer, you can have multiple offers at one, you multiple, um, jobs at once, and they're not on separate timers. Um, they are all on the same timers. So if you, let's just say, get one short, uh, short story reading job and you click, okay, great, I'll do it. And then, you know, this is, let's just say it's four o'clock in the afternoon. You got to you know, go run errands. You got to make dinner after that. Um, but then we are out running errands. You get a message from somebody saying, Hey, um, could you, you know, beta read my long book? And you say, Oh, of course, two jobs in one day. This is amazing. And so you go ahead and send them an offer and they have two jobs, both ticking down, uh, at the same time. Now, you know, there's no staggered. And then that night, you know, you, you get a job, but you're asleep, you wake up and you just get a, a notification that somebody's placed an order and they have three jobs. Uh, and weirdly it happens a lot. Sometimes I don't know if it's Fiverr's algorithm, but sometimes I get, you know, thousands of impressions, um, a week, uh, something like 15,000 impressions a week on my gigs and, you know, maybe a hundred clicks on my gigs. And sometimes I won't, sometimes I'll get a thousand impressions a week, uh, and maybe 10, 10, uh, 10 clicks or five clicks. Um, so it really depends, but I obviously when there's a high number of clicks, usually there's a high number of jobs. Uh, and then all of a sudden I'll find like, oh, I have three or four jobs to do. Um, and so if you don't have a pretty large time buffer on at least one of them, um, then you are going to have to figure out a way to do multiple jobs at once. But if you have a, a, a job that you go to, uh, during the day, then this can get really complicated. So again, in the description, ask for someone to please message you before placing the order, because then you can also let them know, I have three jobs ahead of yours, I can't get to immediately, but I will as soon as I can. The rest of your um, gig description should be, like I said, what you can do and what you cannot do, um, and then you can also put in an FAQ. I used to have an FAQ of like, you know, if you, if you need a discount or if you need, um, not necessarily a discount, but if it's like if the prices are too high and you'd really like to use my service, let me know, I'll, I'll see what I can do, I'll see what I can work out for you. Um, but I have gotten a number of people then messaging me and in my mind, you know, this could be my fault. I'm, I'm talking about like, I'll give you $10 off, $15 off. And they're asking me to read 90,000 words for $30. And I think, well, that's not, that's not what I meant. That's not the offer, but you can put your FAQs, uh, or you can put in your FAQs, just questions that people have asked you, you know, obviously frequently asked questions. Um, but you can obviously, you know, just think some up, think of any answer, any questions you want to answer before somebody messages you. Um, you know, response times, can they change? Um, like I mentioned, prices, can that change? Uh, are there any additional add-ons? Um, will you read the XYZ? Will you read nonfiction? Will you read, you know, that kind of stuff? And if you do read nonfiction, you can say, you know, yeah, I read nonfiction or yeah, I read nonfiction. Go check out my other gig offers for a nonfiction one. Um, totally up to you how you want to work your FAQ. After that is your, your pictures. Um, my recommendation is if you're comfortable with it, use a picture of yourself, for whatever reason, people on Fiverr tend to trust um, 
the gigs that have a picture of the person who will be doing the work. They don't tend to trust people who uh, have a, um, a a default, uh, what is it, a stock image, basically, of, of like some books or like some guy editing or whatever it is. Um, even though you have a profile picture that's in theory of yourself, not always. And actually, I, I'm as a editor, I have a picture of myself that way. It's like clear, open, people know who I am. Um, but a lot of clients do not have a profile picture of what they look like. Um, and I've seen other beta readers and editors not have a profile picture of what they look like. In my experience, both personally and from looking uh, at other people's jobs, the ones that do best have either a picture of themselves as, um, well, their profile picture, but also a picture of themselves at, in the gig offer. So it'll be a picture of their face and they'll say beta reading, you know, two minutes in Photoshop or, or um, GIMP or you know, some other picture editor, you know, Microsoft Paint, honestly. Um, and you can just, you know, put words over your face, not over your face, maybe over your, somewhere in the background. You can have some words that just say, you know, beta reading service or something like that. Uh, or just a picture of your face there. You know, I saw one guy, it's just a picture of this guy's face. Um, and, you know, he's got 200 five-star reviews. So it's sort of, it re really depends. But people tend to trust a face more than they trust um, just a generic stock image. Um and that's the, kind of the end of you, the end of your your gig setup. You all the only thing you have to do after that is um, ask them to put in their requirements, which uh, your requirements for the instance would be a uh, Microsoft Word document or a Pages document, or if it's on Google, it's a little bit more difficult, um, simply because um, obviously you're you're going to be reading on Google. But if you're and I'll get this more in the editing one, but if you're editing on Google Docs. Um, I personally like to take screenshots occasionally just in case there is an issue. I can let Fiverr know, like, here's the work I did. And if you ask this person um, to show um, that I was working on it, you know, they, they, Google Docs obviously offers the proof that I was logged in and working on their um, their story. Um, but I wanted to, a while ago I mentioned I wanted to talk about um, uh, the, these sort of, not, not necessarily customer service, but the way that Fiverr handles complaints. Because uh, I did mention very briefly that Fiverr does come down usually on the side of the client. And that's something to keep in mind. Um, that if there's a problem, just assume, even if it's a ridiculous, crazy, nonsensical problem, assume that they will come down on the side of the client. Uh, for instance, somebody left me a really uh, two-star review. They were trying to leave a one-star review, but you cannot... Um, a, a client cannot change their rating on... I think you can give three things, three... Um, different ratings. It's on their communication. It's on um, their, would you use them again? And it's on their quality of work. And he gave me one star for would you use again and one star for um, quality of work, but five star for your communication because he doesn't get to control that. Only Fiverr does uh, because I was very quick with my communication. So it ended up being a two star review instead of one. Um, but he was constantly swearing at me and he was, you know, sending me like just nonstop uh, swearing in his, his, um, uh, you know, in his, his messages to me, which I don't care. Um, but you know, it's non-professional. I'm like, if this guy's going around doing this to other people. So I comment, I, I contacted Fiverr and I asked if there's anything I can do. Um, and they're like, you know, besides canceling the job, which means you don't make that money, that $90, you know, there's nothing we can do. And I'm like, well, you know, he talked, he's going to, he's threatening me with a run one star review unless I change, um, my report. Um, and which, you know, again, you can't do, you cannot, um, change anything on the basis of a better review if and this is super important if you say i will do that extra revision for you if you give me a five-star review fiverr will 100 rule against you so don't say oh but if you give me a better review i'll do whatever you want do not say that never mention the review 
ever um, on any messaging because then that will sync you if, if there is ever a problem. Um, apparently, though, clients can absolutely do that without an issue. Um, so he was able to post it, and I was, I mean, I got paid. Um, and so it was a little bit, you know, kind of confusing, but Fiverr is essentially, you know, the, the person I was speaking with was essentially like, yeah, you know, there's nothing really we can do about this. And I'm like, so he gets, he gets to, you know, basically keep doing what he's doing and, uh, there's no repercussions. Um, and that's just something again, kind of keep in mind just if anything comes, and it happens all the time on the Fiverr subreddit, like I mentioned earlier, if anything happens, if anything comes up, it's almost without fail, um, that you will see, um, Fiverr support coming down on the side of, uh, like coming down in support of the side of the client and not in the support of you. On the subject of reviews, uh, and this is probably one of the last things I say, but if you do get a bad review, I recommend handling it with professionalism, uh, with courtesy, um, not necessarily, you know, taking the high road, but, you know, taking the high road. Um, it's, it's sometimes I'll see these responses from beta readers and editors sort of defending themselves, like, um, and I don't, I don't mean like, you know, um, you know, somebody's saying you're, you're terrible, you know, terrible beta reader. And they're just saying like, well, um, you know, basically explaining like, well, I don't think I'm terrible. You know, you, you did, you did send me something in, in Italian and I only read English. Um, like that's, that's not in my gig requirements. Or sometimes, you know, again, I did see one that was, um, somebody saying, you know, awful service wouldn't use again. And they're like, you know, you did send me your story with one day left on the, um, on the service offer, like, I, and I asked you to extend and you refused to extend. So I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I don't really know what you expected out of that. Um, so there are some people like that. And I, I, there are some other people obviously who just answer their, um, their reviews with more of like a, a little bit of snark, a little bit of like, well, you should have read, you know, my, my services better before you place something. Um, I don't, I don't love those. It's kind of a little bit antagonistic. It's a little bit defensive. It's kind of like, I mean, obviously they should have read it better, but I'm hoping out of the person I hired a beta reader, you're a little bit more professional. Um, but normally how reviews work is somebody can comment because somebody can leave your review. You can comment on their review and that's it. If you can also leave them a review, obviously, uh, and I believe they can comment on, on it as well. Um, but if you decide, let's just say, uh, somebody's like, I'm gonna leave you once their review and you're like, Oh, please don't. Their review won't pop up for 10 days. Um, and then basically, and unless you leave one, if you leave one, then both reviews pop up at the same time. But if you don't leave one in 10 days, theirs will pop up and you will lose your opportunity to post one. Um, and if you do, if you, you know, if somebody's going to leave a bad review for you, um, and, and you're like, you know, I'm gonna do the same thing, then I would also be clear on why you're leaving it. Don't just say, you know, terrible person. Um, and I say that because I, I would like to go through, like I go through every client I have, I go through their reviews and see what people say about them. Is it all five stars? Is it a lot of twos and threes and four stars? Um, I also, when I leave reviews, I I really personally don't like when people leave reviews for clients saying great writer, you know, would work with them again. I'm like, I don't care if they're a good writer. I care if they communicated well. I care if they were kind, courteous, if they're professional, if they were quick with their responses, uh, if they, you know, if you needed something, they did not give it to you, uh, things like that. Um, I have a couple clients now that I really enjoy because they're very clear and they understand that this is a job for me. So they're constantly asking like, you know, do you need more money for this? Is, do you need more time for this? Is there something, you know, I should be doing to help you out while you're doing this? Uh, and that's, I think the mark of a really good client, but also again, their comments reflect that a lot of people who commented on them saying, you know, very clear and communicative, uh, communicative, communicative, they communicate well. Um, and that's the kind of personally, the review I look for. So I recommend, I mean, not just for me, but for other people leaving reviews that describe them, uh, as a client, not necessarily as a writer or anything like that. 
Um, so even if they were good, you know, if they were a good um, client, if you're like they're a great client, paid on time, um, but they never communicated with you. Like, I've, and I've had clients like that um, where they they place the order and I ask them a question, and they don't get a response, and I ask them another question and they don't get a response, and I send them a review report and they uh, approve it. And I get paid, but I still don't get a response from them. And I'll say, like, thanks so much for using my service. Um, then I'll, I'll be, make it part of the review is just, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically I, I'll, I'll put somewhere in there um, their communication was um, uh, they did not communicate to me you know, well or they did not communicate or they didn't respond to messages, but they were they paid on time and they were a good client. Uh, and there's, it's a lot of it is a warning the next person. Um, you can block um, people. And I don't know if once you've blocked them, they can place an order with you. I certainly hope not. Um, but you can block people. And actually, it kind of brings me to the very last thing I want to talk about to wrap up this massively long episode, uh, by my standards, um, is sort of figuring out who these clients are before you um, send them an offer. Um, and it's a, it's a, I was a waiter for a couple of years, and it's something that you know I kind of picked up while I was waiting tables is trying to figure out who a table is um, before before serving them. Is it's sort of like, uh, and it's you know, uh, to anyone who's not American, it sounds terrible. Maybe if you're American, it sounds terrible too. Um, but because waiters get paid on tips, you tend to gravitate towards the tables you think will give you the bigger tips. Um, and it's not necessarily by look or anything like that. It's about like. Um, the dynamics of the table, it's about how they're set up, it's a, it's a party, sometimes age plays often to it, older people then tap, uh, tend to give, um, tend to tip very well, younger people, um, you know, in my experience, tend to not tip, um, I mean, but then people in the restaurant industry tip to tip, you know, tended to tip really high, um, because, you know, they understand sort of being in the restaurant, um, people on vacation, you know, almost never tipped, it was sort of like, you're never going to find me, so I don't really care, um, so it's sort of trying to feel out these people and then understand what kind of quality of service to give them. I do a similar but not quite the same thing for beta reading. And it's not what kind of service to give them because I give everybody the same service. It's am I going to kind of subtly convince this person to use a different service? Uh, if it's somebody who comes in and they in the first message, there's a few red flags, a few like, you know, I need this really quick and I, I don't know if I can afford that price and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's like these like little red flags. Then I try to let them down easy and basically say like, oh, okay, that sounds great. You know, I unfortunately I'm really booked up right now, um, or I I, you know, I don't have make much experience reading that kind of book, or um, it doesn't sound like something that you know I would be best prepared to handle. It sounds like you might want to use a different beta reader, something like that. Um, and that's something I, I do encourage you to also um, consider or to learn how to do because there is there's a lot to obviously being a beta reader and. The, the level of stress that comes with somebody who is disagreeable or somebody who is, there's a chance they're not going to pay you or there's a chance they are going to um, try and um, uh, basically try and get Fiverr to step in and cancel the order after you've already given them the ba the reader report. And that's, of course, you know one of the other little issues is even after you've given somebody the reader report, they can say this is not good enough and Fiverr will cancel the order. and But they'll first say, hey, can you do anything to make it good enough? And you'll say... Not really. I mean, I, get, I I commented on their book. You know, I asked the client what I can do to um, improve, like what I can do to to better fulfill their needs. They say there's nothing. This just sucks. Then Fiverr is like, well, we're going to cancel the order. Then you don't get paid. Um, some people are like, you know, they're fine with that. Some people are like, I don't care as long as I never have to talk to that person again. I don't care. Some people are like, no, I want them to leave me a one star review, but I want to get my money. Um, so you know, there's a kind of a, a shifting opinions on that. Um, but it all comes back to what you are comfortable with, what you're comfortable with as, you know, as a self-employed person, but what you're comfortable with as a person. 
you know, do you want to handle people who are throwing up red flags, who are not really communicating or not communicating well, um, who are insulting, who, you know, they, they come into your messaging and they immediately insult the last person. They, the last beta was just awful. You know, I hope you're going to be much better because that was a terrible experience. I'm not sure. To, you know, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll be better. Certainly hope so. But I'm not going to bend over backwards trying to make it better. I think that you know somebody else may help better. You you go find somebody else. I don't. I can't help with this. Um, and a lot of this kind of sounds heartless. But what it comes down to is, if you need to make money, if you need to make a living, um, you it's finding the path of least resistance. It's sort of finding what makes you money, what gets you paid, what gives you more five stars, builds up your reputation as a beta reader, and then gets you away from ever using Fiverr again onto your own website because that's kind of what it's all about. Once you have clients whether from Fiverr or whether from Upwork, whether from Freelancer, you know, even Twitter. Some people try to use Twitter as a, as a base to get beta reader, um, uh, people who need beta reading of their books. You really want to migrate to your own website. And it can be a free website. It could be something, you know, a Webly uh, or Weebly. Uh, it could be a Wix site. It could be WordPress. It doesn't really matter. As long as it's just, you know, you're getting 100% of everything you make, um, then that's kind of the end goal for a lot of people. It's getting over to their own website where they control everything. Nobody can just send them a book. They can cancel orders whenever they want. If somebody insults them, it's done. Um, you know, I mean, you know, you basically get payments through PayPal kind of thing, or you can charge a different way. You can basically say PayPal uh, payments only through my coffee or only through uh, wire transfer, you know, or um, you can actually make it a, sometimes people make it a service uh, on their website, like if it's Wix or if it's WordPress or something like that, and they have to click buy and put in their card information. Um, but that way it makes it really difficult, like to get it refunded. Uh, it's not just, I didn't like his work. It's like, well, you bought the service. It sucks. You didn't, you know, it's like buying a piece of jewelry. I didn't like it once it arrived. It's like, oh, it sucks, but it's yours now. Um, you know, unless the, if the person's going to take refunds, fine. But if they're not, uh, you know, you're stuck with it. Um, so that's kind of the end goal. And that's obviously what I encourage everybody is to, to slowly, but surely work away from Fiverr. Uh, and as a last warning, I will say, try not to put anything like that in your messages. It does break Fiverr's um, uh, code of conduct. If you put an at sign anywhere in your messages, it'll throw up a warning saying, if you're trying to send an email, don't do that. They say it's like for safety or something like that. It's not for safety. It's just they don't want, like I ha I've had two clients that have had to email me um, their their stories because uh, for whatever reason, Fiverr didn't didn't allow them to upload the stories through their, their file upload button. So they just emailed to me. Super simple, no problem. Um, but basically, Fiverr does not want that. Fiverr does not want any communication outside of Fiverr. They say it's because, you know, if something happens, we can't do anything. But it's also because if you tell them outside of, you know, Fiverr, like, hey, I'd love to use again for your job, but if you want to use me again, you know, I charge 10% less if you pay me through PayPal ahead of time. Um, and, you know, sometimes people do. They're like, oh, that's fantastic. I'll save 10% to not, uh, you know, to, to not have to worry about going through Fiverr. Um, so that's just some thoughts. I hope this enormously long, winding tale on how to become a beta reader is somewhat helpful for you if you are interested in becoming a beta reader. Um, I hope you have learned some kind of information from this. Um, I know I've kind of, it's nonstop talking for about an hour. I don't know what this will cut down to, but it's about an hour right now. Um, but I hope some of this has been informative and helpful, and that if you do get started, that uh, you have at least a place to start, a, a sort of a foundation to start. And um, I hope to see you in the next episode.